Welcome in. It's the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs. Tyler West and Chris along with you on this Wednesday, Thursday morning, excuse me, in the Hearn and Chevrolet Studios. This week has gone by really fast. I've been thinking it's like the day before because I feel like the week has been going by a little bit slower, but not this week for whatever reason. I mean, that's that's better than the alternative when that's true. you like think it's Friday and then it's Thursday. Yeah, it's not. Um, regardless, it is Thursday, getting closer to the Gamecocks and the Aggies kicking off on Saturday at noon, uh, here, obviously, uh, locally, uh, out at 11 o'clock there in College Station. We'll get to some of the sound from the coordinators yesterday previewing that matchup and looking back at what happened this past weekend against Missouri. But the news yesterday that everybody's talking about and wanted to get more insight on is, uh, Xavier McLeod, who has left the uh, Gamecocks program after a just half a season four-star defensive-lined uh, prospect that uh, we did see getting some action this year, had the interception off tip ball against Furman, and uh, now no longer with the team. Yeah, no longer with the team. Played in four games. And, you know, there's a lot of different stuff out there. You've seen, um, you know, his parents weigh in on, on social media. You've seen fans weigh in as well. And, um, you know, I, I think for the most part it's a situation where some some of the truth is out there, but also, uh, you know, this is someone, frankly, who has had a ton of talent, uh, has a ton of talent, not has had. He has a ton of talent, but it was going to be up to him to to put it all together and, and to develop and to show he was ready to do all the things needed to excel at this level. And, you know, I, I think, obviously, for South Carolina – if you look at that potential, it, it is a blow to your future potential defensive line and is now a position where I think if you're looking at it from a recruiting board standpoint, you say, uh, hey, we, we have to go ahead and account to replace that guy because there was a chance he put it all together. Now, you know, I will say this simply is not as simple as, well... He wanted to redshirt, and the staff told him not to. And then, um, boom, he's he leaves the team. Yeah, he, you know, even even his mom, allegedly his mom, I guess, on the screenshot said that um, said I believe the way she said it was he was dismissed from the team. So um, the official word from South Carolina is that he is no longer on the team. Did he have an option to be on the team anymore? I would say no. Yeah, I mean, guys, just so we're at the point now. I think I'm gonna give a little theory. South Carolina's two and five, mm-hmm. and we have seen in the past. This happens with everything, not just football at South Carolina, sports in general, walks of life in different areas. If things aren't going well, you see kind of a a different tone, and so some people have latched onto that very small aspect of the story. Which, by the way, doesn't pass the smell test, even if you just look at it. Sure. Like, it's kind of common sense. And that's the narrative because this is a 2-5 and five team. If South Carolina was 7-0, and oh, there'd be a lot of people going, I don't know about that. That doesn't seem right. Right? And so, it doesn't test, pass the smell test, and it's, a, it's, again, a very small of it. A very small part of it. So, in reference to that screenshot, I'm just going to read this directly. Herman McLeod, which I believe is his father, 
This was on Facebook. And again, take this with a grain of salt. This is just one perspective. But uh, this is what a lot of people are talking about. He came there to win, didn't like losing. He wanted a red shirt to get another year of eligibility. And they said no. So he refused to go to Missouri. If he did, he wouldn't be able to red shirt. Uh, but he's okay. Wish them the best. Moving on to the next program, Gamecocks for Life. And again, that's, uh, I believe, his father, Herman McLeod, on Facebook. And again, that's just his side of the story, at least. Yeah, that's his side. And I think if you kind of try to parse through that, I I have seen some people say or ask, well, um, going to Missouri would not burn his red shirt. So why did he say that? Well, you kind of have to just bring that statement forward a little bit. He's been playing in every game. Mm -hmm. He's kind of been the fifth defensive tackle. Not every game, but he's played in four games as the fifth defensive tackle. So, yes, if he went to Missouri and then played in the game, which you would project him to do so, you know, yeah, he would he would burn his red shirt. Yeah. However, there I think there's an issue even with just that. There's an issue in that your team is struggling and they obviously want you to make an impact during the recruiting process. You're told, "Hey, you can play early." A lot of guys would do anything to be able to suit up sure. and go on this trip. So I mean, I've heard from multiple people he did not want to go to Missouri. The dad seems to confirm that. And so that that there's a problem there just in that. But it goes beyond that, I think, in terms of are you doing all the things you're supposed to do to be a great teammate yeah. um, at, at South Carolina. And, and there's a high standard for that. But the um, the fact is that it's just not going to work out, it appears, at South Carolina. Yeah, and and some I think there's going to be some people that say, y'all need to give every single detail, and we're not going to do that, right? Not going, not trying to throw anybody under the bus. There's certain things that are going to just stay, but um, there's more there. There's more than a conversation about redshirting, right? Um, there are actually multiple things that have kind of compounded over time. And, again, as you said, Wes, there have always been, even dating back to high school, thin state kid, dating back to his time at Camden, that have been questions about will he reach his potential. And so some of those things carried over to uh, the time at South Carolina. And, you know, this was the result. And I think the the last part I would say on this aspect of it, because I want to get more in kind of the, to the impact, like short-term, long-term impact, is that I think if you go – and you were to ask people in the building about this, I don't think there's going to be some like huge controversy of, oh, my gosh, I'm, I'm flabbergasted this happened. I can't believe it, right? And, and that's, I mean, that's the last part I'd say about that. Anything to add, Wes? So, impact, right? I think you, you made a good point in that, like, this is, a, this is a disappointing situation for a lot of reasons, and one of them is, now you start going back and looking, at defensive line recruiting over the last few cycles. I don't really count 2021 for Beamer, right? It was his first class. He was hired in December. You are right up against the transfer portal. You're right up against the early signing period. The team you took over just won two games. Oh, and it's during COVID. So you can't go out on the road and recruit anybody. You can't bring any prospects on campus. They did get Nick Barrett and TJ Sanders in that class, holdovers from the, the Muschamp class that was being put together. Since then, when you look at 22, 23, and even if you bring it forward to 24, the quality 
as far as defensive line recruits, especially with McLeod, who, like you said, Wes, had a ton of talent, talent, right, just natural physical ability, um, is not what it needs to be, right, and not, not what it needs to be in terms of numbers. If you look at some of the impact, yes, some of the guys are still young, but South Carolina is in a place now where you got some guys that have been around a while, like Boogie Huntley, Tonka Hemingway, they're upperclassmen. And what do you have in the pipeline? And so I think, look, it was always going to be the case that in this class, South Carolina needed to go out and hit the transfer portal, hit the junior college ranks. Probably not going to be a huge defensive tackle class in number. I think you you look at it though. Does the McLeod thing like change that equation? Not really, as far as what you're looking for in this class. But it does mean that you don't have a player that, if he were to reach that potential one day, could have been a good player for you. And and so it kind of exacerbates, I think, in some ways, the problem that you had. Well, you you look at the guys that are playing at, at defensive tackle right now. You have a you have a basically a four man rotation. And and then, like I said, McLeod was kind of the fifth. Jamal Weiss, he made the trip and, and took over as kind of that fifth spot. But all these guys have eligibility left while simultaneously all being guys that have been in your program for a, a while. And, and as we know now, and, and I'm not even – this is not me speculating at all, specifically on any of these guys. That's not what I'm trying to do or, like, start a rumor. I'm just saying in general – when guys have been in a program for three, four, five years, there are all types of different reasons where, you know, hey, I'm I'm just ready to go try for the pros. Or, um, you know, when, when guys have been there, especially, you know, maybe if you're not starting, you're, you're not playing every snap or, or most of the snaps, those things come into play. So I, I think if you are able to keep those four guys, so we obviously, you know, you got Tonka Hemingway, Boogie Huntley, TJ Sanders, and Nick Barrett. All four of those guys are almost co-starters. Certainly three of the four are kind of co-starters for the two spots. If you can keep them in there and then kind of bring along a Drew Tuazama, who we've seen move inside going into next year, I actually think you have a nice little buffer still there at, at that position. But you want to go ahead and look up, look ahead to 2025 and the fact that, you know, you have Elijah Griffin who you're trying to get, but it's going to be tough, frankly, with Georgia and now, honestly, with South Carolina's season as well. But you want to circle Amari Adams, number one prospect in the state for 2025, big-time interior defensive line prospect, and then extend it out from there. You, you can't just land him, uh, I think. You're really going to have to put energy and effort these next two classes to replenishing those four spots right there, that, those rotational guys there, at least moving forward into not next year but the year after. Because you can't, even if you keep all those guys for next year, you can't go into that season after and be like, wow, we're replacing all four of these guys at the same time with no experience behind them. Yeah, you don't want to get in position into this class where, like we've gotten the question a lot of, where, where are all the high school defensive tackles on the board? And honestly, it's not as much of a priority this class because unless you could get a big timer, it's not, you can't afford to reach on a guy, you know, in this class. And so that's why you got to go Juco, you got to go portal this class. 
but it is going to become more of an emphasis 2025 like you said Wes that's the class where you really need to hit on some high schoolers that can maybe give you some early snaps and then become really good players we'll continue this conversation uh, coming up uh, further on the impact that this will have on uh, recruiting going forward you're listening to the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs Tyler Wes and Chris along with you here on the game Welcome back in. It is the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs. Tyler West and Chris along with you. I want to remind you once again, the Loyal Release Special Teams Touchdown Contest rolls over to another week. $800 up for grabs this weekend as the Gamecocks head on the road to take on the Aggies out in College Station. Head on over to 1075thegame.com and register for your chance to win. If that touchdown happens on Saturday, come Monday morning, Bill and Preston will pick a winner live on the air on the early game, so make sure you're registered on 1075thegame.com. And if there's no touchdown, it rolls over to $900 next week when the other Gamecocks of Jacksonville State come in to Williams-Rice Stadium. Again, the Lawyer Lisa Special Teams Touchdown Contest. Continuing our conversation about Xavier McLeod, who again uh, has left the team as of yesterday, the four-star prospect uh, out of Camden uh, in this past year's recruiting cycle. What is the impact, at least locally, that that can have on recruiting, being the fact that he was such a top prospect within the state and a local guy here to Columbia? I mean, I would say zero, honestly. I mean, don't you think, Chris? I don't. I don't. Two percent? No, I'm just kidding. No, no, I agree. I don't. I don't think it's gonna. Tyler, do you mean as far as like, just to make sure somebody, prospects, coaches, families looking at it and going, ah, oh, you know, yeah, and, and, and yeah. The, the fact that he's a local guy, so. and I don't know how many other yeah. recruits he may be in contact with or know that South Carolina is potentially looking at, like, hey, well, it didn't work out for Xavier. Maybe I'm second guessing my own, you know, looking at South Carolina now. Yeah, no, I, I don't. For for one, you know, maybe if there was a guy who was coming up that was highly recruited from the same place and was super tight with him or something like that. May, you know, maybe that becomes a factor. Um, now, do you, you obviously never, you'd never want to have this headline go out. Like you don't want this to happen, but, um, you know, it kind of is, is part of it. It is what it is. And I, I think for South Carolina, they're, they're just moving on. And I, I don't really think of anybody in particular that it's going to affect their their process with. And, you know, they've already, for the most part, got their 2024 class in-state locked up. There's a couple of additional guys that are trying to flip from other schools. But for the most part, that class is in the books. Um, you know, we'll, like I talked about, Amari Adams, he's a huge target for them, big-time target for them. And he plays the same position. He's an in-state guy. But I don't really see a reason that this would uh, affect what's going to happen there. Yeah, totally agree. I mean, I, 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 there's the only thing I could think of is if like McLeod was like best friends with you know some recruit coming up, and there was, but you know, in in the course of these conversations, I mean, look, it's a relationship business in recruiting, and so even prospects who end up picking other schools. Generally, if you're in the game with a guy, you're going to have a great, you know, you build really good relationships with these prospects, and there's some frank conversations. And, um, you know, recruits are generally going to know kind of what happened. This isn't a situation uh, you can, like you see at other schools, where some recruit is, is you know, quote-unquote done wrong or something like that. This is this is totally different than that. Gotcha. 
Uh, turning our attention now to the coordinator speaking yesterday to the media ahead of um, this weekend's game against Texas A&M. Obviously, we've talked ad nauseum about all these injuries. By the way, I don't know if you guys heard Pete Limbo went on a spiel about what ad nauseum means when somebody asked him about that because, of course, Pete Limbo knows a little bit about everything. Um, but uh, yesterday, uh, Coach Loggins was talking about you know the difference on on how you prepare and, and go through practices and, and preparing for games with so many injuries that South Carolina is dealing with. Here's what uh, Loggins had to say yesterday. Yeah, um, the NFL becomes more about service team, so it's like your first offense practicing a second team defense. When we get into problems here, what makes it tough is you have six or seven scholarship offensive linemen on IR. Or I don't not IR, but that's what we call it in the NFL. Um, <clears throat> but that aren't available practice, so then it becomes a it becomes a challenge for the defense, making sure they get. And all of a sudden, you're playing. You're going against three offensive linemen and two tight ends playing offensive line. So the challenge uh, coach asked me about the other day is like, hey, what's the fewest offensive linemen you've ever gone into a game with? I'm like seven, which is really scary. And normally it was eight or nine, but because um, we were, you know, counting our numbers, saying like, hey, who's going to be available for this game? It definitely becomes a challenge. What what can the bigger challenge becomes this? It's when guys like Nick G start taking more reps than they normally take, and in a uh, on a tough schedule playing in this conference all of a sudden the wear and tear in their body becomes more because you know it's got it someone has to take the rep so now all of a sudden instead of in a 10 play rack where they normally take six well now they're taking eight well that cumulative effect of like eight plus eight plus eight plus eight starts stacking up on you because that's how you have to practice that way and when we think about the injuries, I think we're, uh, a lot of us are limited to looking at it only from the perspective of Saturday, but this is the trickle down because it does affect how you prepare during the week as well. It does, and injuries in some weird ways create more injuries because you are having to play guys a lot more. You're having to, as he was talking about, you're having to rep guys more. But also, I mean, look, look at the cornerbacks. Like, look at the PFF snap counts and say, hey, these cornerbacks are playing almost every single snap on defense. And for a defense at times, we talked about it, frankly, that has struggled to get off the field. So then you're out there, you're you're taking more reps, which increases the chances of injury in, in its own right. And then you're maybe playing reps when you're a little bit more tired than is ideal. So there is a snowball effect to this, I think. And obviously the point he's making out is there's an effect on your scout team. And now it's, I think Clayton White was the one talking about, hey, this is like 20, 25 snaps in a practice or 20, 25 minutes in a practice. This is not – South Carolina doesn't rep their entire practice against their scout team, but does it affect how you do things? Uh, of course it does. And this is another one of those things. Some people may see a snippet of this on Twitter and be like, oh, here comes more excuses. But <laughs> they, they were asked. They're answering a question they were asked, uh, which is what the press conferences are for. And, yeah, it has an effect. You don't use it as an excuse, but that doesn't mean it's not a factor. Yeah, and Dow Loggins had the quote. What I told you yesterday, Wes, and we were doing our podcast, the, the quote that Loggins had yesterday that stood out above anything else anyone said was, you know, there's excuses and then there's reality. So when you're talking about the offensive line, you're dealing in the reality realm. You, you can't ignore it. You know, you've got what? What are they at? I mean, he said six or seven guys on IR. Isn't it even higher than that? I mean, like nine guys that have been that are banged up. You at know, least, so, at least to some degree. So, some are totally yeah. out. Some, some are are playing banged up. Okay, what? Tree Babalades four that are questionable for this weekend. Yeah. and and so you look at it, and a you're playing two true freshmen. 
you didn't plan on that going into the year. You were out without two starting tackles after four snaps of game one. You know, not a single offensive lineman started against Missouri in the same spot that he started against UNC in, if he even started at all. You know, so uh, when you have that many guys hurt, it affects your practice. It definitely affects your games. And that's going to affect everything else. Because, again, as we said yesterday, it's all kind of compounded on each other this season. Yeah, I mean, I I think for them – it's kind of a tired conversation, but at the same time, it is a reality. And, you know, you it's hard not to play the what-if game if you're a South Carolina fan. And, hey, what what would this what would this team look like? What would this season have looked like with half as many injuries? So, um, But for them right now, the question is, can you go to Texas A&M against what probably is the best front you've seen all year? and put together some type of plan to give yourself a chance. If you play this game 10 times with what South Carolina is going to probably take out there to Texas in terms of, you know, their offensive line, and no, a lot of it, we're at the point, guys, where it's not the guys that are playing's fault. Like, they were backups at the time for a reason. Yep. They A lot of them were not ready yet. Even the guys, like, put a healthy tree and a healthy throw in there. Was it necessarily even fair to those guys as true freshmen to have to go play? You know, of course not. That's not ideal. But you you just got to see if you can find a way to give, uh, what was it, Spurrier always say, give fate a chance. Yeah, I love that one. You got to give fate a chance. So yep. what that means is keep, give yourself a good enough plan in this case that if A&M wants to have an off game and start throwing the ball around and start fumbling the ball, that it matters. Like, may, play well enough, have a good enough plan that it matters because this is a very tough matchup. Yeah. A&M, I mean, th- their losses in SEC play have been very close to very talented football teams. So there's a reason this thing is two touchdowns, and I think there's a half tacked on there as well on the yeah. Vegas line at it, this point. It moved up a little bit recently. Yeah, so there, there's a reason for that. Yeah, and the, A&M's got some weaknesses – like defensively, it would be the secondary. Mm-hmm. There's some, there's some plays to be made there, but but your receiving core is totally banged up. Yep, you're going to be probably missing two of your starting three receivers. Then Leggett was banged up, so he'll he'll not be a hundred percent at the minimum. And then all the offensive line issues. So can you even make them pay? Right, that's the big question. Speaking of health, one key player that they are looking to keep healthy, uh, something else Dow Loggins talked about. We'll hit that coming up. You'll listen to the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs here on the game. Welcome back in. This is the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs. Tyler West and Chris with you on this Thursday morning. Heard a little bit from Dow Loggins in that last segment, a reference to how Injuries are affecting the preparation and what they're doing in practice because, again, you don't have the numbers on the offensive line. You have tight ends, and they're playing at some of those line spots, and that affects you know everybody to a degree um, when you're talking about getting some of those uh, reps in. He talked about a number of other things, but something else I wanted to hit on in reference to Spencer Rattler, and we look back this past weekend where he gets sacked six times against Missouri, and that was a Missouri defensive front that wasn't exactly lighting the world on fire with their pressure on quarterbacks, and it's a completely different story this weekend against Texas A&M. You anticipate that Spencer Rattler going to get hit a lot from the Aggies this weekend, and here's Dow Loggins talking about what they can do to keep Rattler healthy. 
Nick G and I were laughing about the other day. He's like, man, we chip and nudge. When a chip is when a back is chipping the defensive end, a nudge is we call it like, hey, he's nudging the tack uh, the tight end is nudging the uh, defensive end. We do that more than any team in the country. Um, which also like hurts getting guys out, like distribution. Like I, you go back and you look at the, some of these early games, like we're getting five guys out, we're emptying the emptying people out and all that stuff. And now we're trying to help our tackles more. Um, and for Spencer, it's still the same. Like Spencer wants to make plays. Spencer wants to win. Spencer wants to sit in the pocket and do what he needs to do to win games. And it's also there's the fine line of like, hey, throw it away, throw it away. We'll, we'll we can kick field goals. We can punt. Like don't take don't take unnecessary. You know lost yardage plays, especially on first and second down. And most of the, a lot of the sacks are coming on third down uh, when it's known um, pass situations. All of a sudden, like when we're going first down, second down, first down, the sacks aren't aren't happening as much because you're not getting into third and seven plus. Um, so for so that, and we're mixing in seven-man protections. We're doing different things to help schematically that way. And Spencer sometimes is at the mercy of the protection and how we do. And it's not just the offensive line. It's the tight ends. It's the running backs. It's the wide receivers uh, creating separation. Um, and Spencer throwing on time. It's, it's all of it. It all ties in together. And right now we're not where we need to be. Gamecocks are seven games through this season so far. Spencer Rattler has been sacked 30 times. Last season, through 13 games, he only got, got sacked 31 times. So every hit he's taking, especially in this back half of the season, you just get more and more worried how it's going to wear on him and what his health is going to be. And again, he's going to be facing a tough pass rush this upcoming weekend with A&M as well. I would say arguably the toughest pass rush. I mean, we, we've heard we've heard Dow Loggins say that before about a pass rush. Hey, this is the best front we've faced this year he said it again about texas a&m this may actually be the best that they've faced you know and he you kind of look at the sack totals you said what missouri got him six times yeah add add in the number of times that he's hit yeah where he's not sacked and that number just balloons correction five times sorry missouri only got him five times five times so then i think florida Maybe got him twice, mm-hmm. but you you know you kind of go back. He's getting hit every game now. To his credit, he's popped up for the most part every time. He's done a pretty good job. He do, he actually does a pretty good job of trying not to take the the brunt force of those hits. And I, I think his work in the weight room has put him in a position where he's kind of bulked up a little bit to take some of those hits. But yeah, this is not what you want. I was listening to Texag's radio this week, and they were pointing out the different sack totals for South Carolina allowed this year. And North Carolina, they said, we, we know they had their nine sacks, but they've basically had, I think, nine or ten the rest of the way. Yep. That has North Carolina. So it is a, a, a tough situation for Rattler, a tough situation for this offense. And I see Chris Clark raising his hand. So he has something to add. I have stats. I didn't want to cut you off, though. No, please cut me off. I need someone to. The thing is, as we know, within South Carolina's extremely difficult schedule, they they have played some teams that are pretty good at getting after the passer. And, you know, Tennessee's one of those, for example. I think their defensive line is even better than we thought it would be. You know, and that was – I think it was Dow Loggins said, like, going into the Tennessee game, he's like, this is probably the best front we've played all year. And you're like, ooh, they just played Georgia not too long ago. Tennessee's better. This one is even better that they're going to see with A and M when you when you build up when you when you build in really their entire front seven. So A and M tackles for loss nationally, tied for number one. 
team tackles for loss on defense, actually tied with Brent Venable's Oklahoma team, averaging 9.3 per game. South Carolina, on the flip side, offensively, only two teams nationally are worse in allowing tackles for loss. So South Carolina tied for 125th. With how many? Eight per game. Okay, so A&M. So right in line with It's already been ugly. Numbers and then on A&M, both sides. Yep, yeah, and so A&M's, you know, even more. And so you look at that, like, ooh, that's not a great matchup, right? Then you look at, you know, you go to the sack numbers, and South Carolina is allowed, I mean, only, wow, Alabama's actually, aver- you know, giving up more sacks than South Carolina. Part of that was A&M. Only four teams worse nationally than South Carolina in allowing sacks. Gamecocks averaging 4.29 a game allowed. And A&M ought to pull up their sack numbers. But I imagine, guys, they're probably going to be right up there. Remember Dowell Loggins? So they, they got 29 on the season. 29. Yeah. They're, second in, they're second in the nation behind second James the nation. Madison. Okay. Yeah. Tyler's got the, the bank. Did you already have all of those and you just let me say them? No, I didn't have okay. all that, all right, but... Good. Yeah, most helping you out a little bit. Yeah, I, I I do have some stats. You you brought up Alabama's yeah. offensive line, and they are among one of the worst in the SEC. So uh, South Carolina twelfth overall in sacks given up. Around them, Auburn in eleventh, Arkansas in thirteenth, and then Alabama in fourteenth. Three teams that A and M's already played this year. Oof. When you look at the numbers of pressures on dropbacks and the, the amount of time those quarterbacks were blitzed in those games, and I'll throw Auburn out of there because they don't throw the ball nearly as much because they're not as good at it. But when you look at K.J. Jefferson and Jalen Milrow facing Texas A&M, K.J. Jefferson pressured on 41% of his dropbacks, Milrow on 36% of his. K.J. Jefferson blitzed 69% of the time. Milrow blitzed 64% of the time. The difference in those two games, Milrow was 4 of 6 on deep balls, 20-plus yards for two touchdowns. K.J. Jefferson only one of three on deep balls with one touchdown. But still, we talked about being able to throw the ball deep. Got to have enough time to do that. And again, they're going to be in his face this entire game based on those numbers. Got to have receivers too, right? Yeah, that doesn't help either. (laughs) I mean, you're so banged up there. Yeah, it's just, it's not a good matchup, right? And if you have a team that's adept at rushing the passer, that's been a kryptonite for South Carolina this year given their struggles. And the unfortunate thing for them is just about every team you play in this league is going to have great pass rushers. Right. We've seen it with multiple teams. A&M has been the best at it out of anybody in the conference. You were talking about Tennessee a second ago. Is there a guy out there that South Carolina recruited that they could use more (laughs) than James Pierce? You know, we actually could have a conversation about several guys, but that has to be number one. I don't know why I keep going back to James Pierce because I keep seeing on Twitter like, hey, James Pierce did this, James Pierce did that. We saw what he did against South Carolina. I think he had nine pressures himself against South Carolina. But, I mean, this dude was a priority, priority target for South Carolina, and they were hopeful that he was going to wait to make his decision until the second signing day. And then, boom, he signs with Tennessee, and the rest is history. Uh, we have a poll going up on 107.5 The Game's Twitter, or X, whatever you want to call it now. Uh, the most important freshman uh, versus Texas A&M on Saturday will be, you have your options of Nick Harbour, Jalen Kilgore, or any freshman that's going to play on the offensive line. We'll tell you right now, freshman on the offensive line is winning at 52%, but your chance to go and vote on that, and we'll keep up those results as the day goes along. Gamecocks are heading on the road this weekend. It is a noon game. So should be over around 3 or 3.30, which means you have the entire day after that to watch all the college football you can think of. You want to make sure you have the right setup to do that. 
our friends at Integrated Media can help you out. They can. Uh, you know, what they could do is really only limited by your own imagination. Like, maybe you want to put six TVs on the wall. Maybe you want to... Like a grid? Yeah, like, how many does Phil still have? Yes. <laughs> yes. He has about 18 has TVs, TV I think. Yeah. He has an entire... They, they, I prom- they would actually love to do that for you. I feel like <laughs> they get excited with some of these ideas you could throw out there. So... Call them today, 803-948-8327. Go to integratedmediainc.com for some examples of what they can do for you. The short version is anything involving upgrading the audio or the visuals in your home, Integrated Media can handle it for you. That could be as simple as hanging one TV. That could be as complex as hanging 18 TVs into a grid. Maybe you want to go and take one room and turn it into a full all-out home theater system with surround sound and a projector and everything else involved with that. They could do that for you, too. Located in Chapin, but servicing the Columbia Midlands area, give them a call today, 803-948-8327. We'll wrap up today's edition of the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs. Talking a little bit about the defense and what Clayton White had to say yesterday. That's coming up here on the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour on 107.5 The Game. Well, whenever you're in a funk, it's not just going to happen. So you got to put the work in, continue staying with the process, keep believing, and, and just understand that, you know, we have, we have the pieces here. We just got to continue. It's all about consistency. We can do it for – you can't just do it for seven plays or two drives. It, you got to sometimes do it for 80, 70, 60 plays, and, and that's what – we just got to continue staying the fight and keep the process and keep the process. Don't change that process and don't fold or don't start pointing fingers and – and look each other in the eye when you're walking through the building and, and keep your head up, chin up, stand uh, stand up strong and be a man about it, basically, at the end of the day. And Welcome back into the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs. Tyler West and Chris along with you. That was the voice of Clayton White talking to the media yesterday about trying to get this defense back on track. I lost count of how many times he said process there. It was at least four or five, it seemed like. Um, but looking ahead to this weekend against Texas A&M, and I feel like we've had this conversation about several teams this year coming into games against South Carolina. Like Statistically speaking, they aren't like amazing at one category. They aren't terrible at a category. They're kind of middle of the road when we look at the SEC for the most part, but that also brings the fear of like, oh no, they're going to go off and have an amazing game against the South Carolina defense, as we've seen so many teams do already this season. Yeah, and I, I think... We thought, or I'll speak for myself, I thought this would maybe even out as the year progressed because on paper you did face some pretty good offenses during that that early stretch of the year. We we knew North Carolina was going to be pretty explosive, and you, you faced some teams with quite a bit of talent on the offensive side. I thought Florida, for example, you know, they come in. They're not really a team that scares you a ton on offense, you're playing them at home. You got your home crowd behind you. I thought it might even out on defense just a little bit. We have not seen that happen, and you know, for them, it's it's been it's been a lot of things. It's been lack of stopping the run. It's been lack of pass rush. It's been covering people downfield. It's kind of been a combination of things. And you know, there there are times to to Clayton White's point, and he's looking at it from a coaching standpoint, where you can point to the consistency and. You know, you can play this exact play and this exact coverage well on one play, and then a couple of guys get out of position on the next, and, you know, you, you don't play it well. Well, that, you know, frankly, is the difference between good defense and, and bad defense. You know, every defense is going to have some plays where they play their opponent well, 
every defense is going to have some where they don't. The great defenses eliminate those mistakes except for like 5% of the time. The the solid defenses eliminate those mistakes except for, I don't know, 25% of the time. But then the the bad defenses, frankly, they have too many of those mistakes to where it just completely covers up your, your good plays because for every three, you know, football ultimately it comes down to those three, that sequence of three plays. And for South Carolina, the numbers just have not worked their favor to where they've been able to get off the field. If you want to really simplify it, you got to go those three plays in a row where everybody plays your assignment and does it well and plays their techniques and does exactly what they're being coached up to do. For South Carolina, it kind of goes back to success rate and, and that metric, that analytic, not good enough during every three-play sequence to get off the field. And there's no better example of what you're talking about than that Florida game that you referenced, right? I mean, there's a couple drives where you get literally exactly what you want. You get a a fourth and long. You completely stonewall them on the first two downs, and then you can't get off the field. But even more often, it has been literally just third downs, and and sometimes that's been back-breaking third and long conversions from the other team or it's just not being able to get yourself into those favorable downs and distances. You know, so you're facing too many, you know, third and shorts that are going to be much easier for other teams to convert. Another stat, since we're doing a lot of stats today, Gamecocks 42, a little over 42% third down conversion uh, on defense is what they're allowing. That's 97th nationally. LSU just barely ahead of them. And the only other teams in the SEC that are lower, actually Kentucky, is 104th nationally. And I think that is the Vanderbilt. You know, so Kentucky and Vanderbilt in the conference are, are below you. So, yeah, just not a lot of margin for error for this defense. And they've created some plays th- that are close. But then all too often they have not made those plays. Well, speaking of creating plays, one thing they're not creating is turnovers. They've gone through these past yeah. couple games without any takeaways, and that's kind of been a mark of, of Clayton White defenses over these past couple of years is generating a fair amount of turnovers. I think they led the SEC back in 2021. They have not had a three-game stretch in White's tenure without a single turnover, and they run the risk of that this weekend if they're not able to get any takeaways against A&M. I distinctly remember us having a conversation about turnovers last year when they were not getting them, and then... They, they do kind of come in waves, and you'll have a stretch where you don't have them, then you'll have a stretch where you have a bunch of them. Early on last year, we were having the same conversation, and I, I think this part remains true. The way you create turnovers, though, in some ways, is to be playing good, disruptive defense. Being, so, in, being in position. Yeah, you, you aren't going to, what did Clayton White say yesterday? He basically said, they're not going to just hand you the ball. They're not just going to put the ball on the turf for the most part. Right. Well, how do you create turnovers? How many turnovers are created because a quarterback gets hit from a blind side, um, you know, because of a pressure? How many fumbles are created because that defensive lineman creates that tackle for loss and hits the running back before he's completely found his balance and secured the football? Obviously, interceptions down the field come from playing great technique, being there. You have a situation where you have double coverage down at the goal line and the ball is put kind of into harm's way. And instead of having a potential pass breakup or even an interception, it goes as a touchdown. Yep. So, so some of turnovers, like you can qualify it as, hey, we got to create turnovers. 
But that maybe is, like we talked about on offense, more of a symptom than anything. you got to be just playing good technique, good defense across the board. Give us some more thoughts on this. Give our final preview of A&M and uh, South Carolina coming up tomorrow. Also, buy or sell as we get you set for the game coming up on Saturday, kickoff at noon, which you can listen to right here on the game. That'll do it for today's edition of the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour. 